This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I am so excited. I have, uh, I'm going to call you a business legend. Is that all right, Howard? Yeah, right. Real legend. Before <laughs> Real time. You'll find I've got a humble leader here with me today, but uh, Howard Bihar is our guest, and uh, Howard uh, was the founding president of Starbucks. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about that little coffee company that started out in Seattle, Washington, and and uh, blew up to what it is today. And so we're just very thankful, Howard, for your service, what you did for Starbucks and uh, for you being with us today. So thanks for joining well, us. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So, uh, so if you can, uh, Howard, on every show, I always talk about what's made you the man you are today. And I know that's a wide open question, but uh, always curious about the backstory of what made Howard the man he is today. Well, you know, I mean, I think everybody could, would say this is that somewhere along the line, their families made a difference in their lives. And certainly that was no different from, for me. My father was very influential in my life uh, uh, and uh, taught me some valuable lessons that I didn't realize that he had taught me until I was much older in my life. And so that, no, no question about it, family of origin. And then, you know, the set of experiences, the disappointments I had in my life, the challenges that I had in my life, and, and mostly people that helped me along the way. One particular individual, a guy named Jim Jensen, who who, when I was in my mid-20s, he um, exposed me to uh, a man named Robert Greenleaf's work on servant leadership. Uh, he exposed me to some work uh, uh, by a man named John Boyle, who had a course called Omega that was about, uh, taught you about how your brain works and how, how we create habits and, and how we change habits. Hmm. And to come uh, uh, organization called the Pacific Institute, which had a bit, it was headquartered in Seattle, a guy named Lou Tice. And all, a lot of those things along the way, just people. And, and then people that I worked with, you know, I mean, they, they change your life. And so, you know, it's, I'm, a, I'm an accumulation of a thousand people. Well, I like that. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read something that I, when I was doing my research on you, that is, uh, that Howard Schultz, the founder of, uh, of Starbucks said about you. And it says, the success of Starbucks coffee company of which none of us could have possibly imagined is deeply rooted in the authorship, the leadership, and the love of Howard Bihar provided Starbucks Coffee Company. That's what he wow. said about you. And, uh, you know, Howard obviously is well known in the world for, uh, for starting the company, but it's people like you that talk about service leader, servant leadership that helped make Starbucks what it is today. So talk to us about that journey. I mean, when you started, there were how many, how many Starbucks locations were there? 28 stores when I started. 28 stores just was, in Seattle, correct? 
Yeah, well, no, we had a couple of stores in Vancouver, Canada, and a couple of stores in Chicago, but everything okay. else was in Seattle. Unbelievable. And and so was, uh, talk to us about that ride. Tiny, you know, it small, yeah, it was a small company, and Howard had a big dream. And, and oh, I, when I first met Howard, he was looking for a VP of operations. And we sat down, and we talked, we had breakfast, and he had this long list of criteria that he wanted in this person. And, you know, I hardly fit any of them. The first one on the list, you had a college degree. I didn't have a college degree. Second wow. thing on the list was, did you have food service experience? I didn't have that. Finally, we get down to number 10. Can you breathe? Yes, I can breathe. Yes. But it, I didn't qualify for enough to make the list. And, and not only that, but at that time, I was looking for a business to buy. I was tired of being in the corporate world, and I wanted to do something myself. And so, you know, then about a year passed, and by accident, we got together again, and and uh, he was still looking to fill that position. <coughs> Excuse me. And I uh, I said to him, "Well, look, why don't why don't I work in the company for a week for free? I'd like to work mm -hmm. in the stores. I'd like to work in the warehouse. I'd like to work on the trucks. And you look at me, and I'll look at you. And at the end of the week, if you still want to extend an invitation for me, then to join them, you know. And if I still think it's the right thing, then." we'll have an agreement. And that's how it went. And we did. Wow. And by the end of that first week, uh, I knew it was the right place for me. And what were you doing at that time? Did you have a job and just kind of quit that job to go into this? No, no, I was, I'd been president of a land development company that got in trouble and we sold it. And um, I ended up uh, taking about, uh, about a year and a half off and uh, looking for something to do that, you know, but it was trying to find a business to buy. Actually, I wasn't looking for a job. And I'd had a couple of things, and uh, and uh, but along the way, this Howard intercepted that, and, and I ended up going to Starbucks, and I never regretted it one day. And so, I mean, at that time, it's not like Starbucks is what it is today, and you oh. know, making all this money. I mean, and from what I had read, you guys were struggling, and and some of the things that we'll probably get into later that some just unbelievable stories that you guys did for employees and even customers, but. What we was it about either Howard or Starbucks that said this is the right spot? Well, I, you know, I always, I've been a goal setter, you know, and I wrote, write things down. And I also uh, write my, have my mission statement and my values and what I call my six P's written down. And those are how I live my life. I want to run a business. And I had all this stuff down. And Howard and I compared our lists and they were almost identical. I thought everybody in the company should get to vote in their own areas of expertise. Everybody should have a piece of the action, have equity in the company. And people should be treated with respect and dignity. And Howard felt the same way. And so that made, then I, I knew, and particularly after working there for a week, I understood, you know, what was going on there. And, and so that it was that. It was really the, the, comp, the combination of values, of the mission statement, my own, and the things that matched up with me. I always believed that, you know, we're not victims. You know, we can choose what we do in life. We, you know, we may not all be president of the United States or I'll be president of Starbucks or whatever it happens to be, but we can choose the things we do and the people that we associate with Amen. and the organizations that we work with. And so, you know, I, I just always searched that out. And that when I was doing my work trying to find a business, I was, those things mattered to me, you know, before I thought about going to Starbucks, just how I wanted to live my life and how I wanted to operate the business. And it just so happened that that's worked at Starbucks. Wow. And so when you guys came together, I mean, was the plan to go globally and build this? I know you always said it's not about the coffee, it's about people, right? But what was no. the plan at that time? Yeah, the plan was to survive. <laughs> yeah. 
that was the plan. And over time, uh, as we got better at what we did and we saw our successes, and we saw some failures too, which concerned us and we had to fix. When I, I first started there, I was there three months and you know, you don't get all the information when they're hiring you. And I'm, I'm looking at all the P&Ls and the cash flows, and I realized we had a huge problem in Chicago. We were losing money, and venture capital money was going to dry up if we didn't fix that problem. So I moved to Chicago to figure out what was wrong, and I stayed there three months, and I came back with a plan, and we executed the plan, and it worked. And then we just started expanding, and as we expanded, the stores were profitable, and we started to know little by little that we really had something here. And that's, then it just took off. And it wasn't Howard or I that built the company. It was the people of Starbucks that built sure. the company. Yeah, and I know you talked about, or I also read, you had H2O. It was you and uh, the, the two Howards and, uh, and, Oren, and Oren Smith, right? So talk Correct. to us about that, right. that threesome of team that you had there. Right. That was, you know, I always say that if I was ever going to get married to two guys, they'd be the two guys I'd get married to. <laughs> Like maybe I could do that in Utah, although I don't think that's legal anymore either. Right. But uh, but, uh, but we just fit together perfectly. I mean, Howard and I argued a lot. I mean, we argued about lots of things, and and they got really heated. They weren't little kind, gentle arguments always, you know. But Oren was always the peacemaker. He was mm -hmm. the guy that was always trying to calm the two of us down because we were both both highly charged individuals and. And, and both both of us cared a lot about what we were doing and and, and Oren was cared too but he was calmer and yeah. so the combination of the three of us were great it was like you know playing basketball we always knew where the other person was on the court without having to look yeah and that's a big deal so let's let's talk about um, you know serving human beings I, I, I when I read about you and, and research you that's what I find is the common theme that comes up is serving other human beings and and, and were you born with that? Is that something you learned over the years? How did that become so important and, and vital to your success? Well, uh, I, I credit that to my parents and particularly my father. My father had was an immigrant to Seattle in 1911 as a 15-year-old. He left his family in Bulgaria and never saw him again except for one brother. And he worked in a place called the Pike Place Market, which is a public market in Seattle. And it had just opened. And it was really, um, it wasn't a tourist destination like it is now. It was actually a distribution center for all the farmers, all the truck farmers around the Seattle area to distribute to small grocery stores, et cetera. Hmm. And so he saved his money and he opened up a little tiny grocery store out in the north end of Seattle by the University of Washington. And, and, um, and as a kid growing up, he was 50 when I was born. So, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, I would go to the store every day after school. Right. And I remember one great example that, that I didn't understand its importance till later on in life. And I was up by the front counter at the register and my father was ringing up a customer, you know, in those days it was a hand crank register of buttons that you pushed down. There was no electronics right. and, a, and a, a cash drawer, you know, that you made change out of. And so he said to me, Howard, go get me a couple of baskets of strawberries. And so I went in the back of the store where the fruit was and I got brought back two baskets of strawberries and he took the baskets of strawberries and he put them in the back. And the customer left. And I was old enough at that time to realize that he hadn't rung those things up on the cash register. And I said, Dad, you forgot to ring those strawberries up. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, Howard, not everything we do in life do we need to get paid for. Sometimes oh. we do things to just help other people. He said, those people that, we're, that we call our customers, they're not just our customers, they're our neighbors and our friends. And I happen to know that they're in tough times right now and they love strawberries, but 
strawberries are expensive and they can't afford them. And so it's just my way of treating them as friends. And that was such a great example that I didn't realize till later on in life. Not everything we do in life do we need to get paid for. And I don't, it's not just money do we need to get paid for. Do we need to get paid for emotionally or whatever it is? Sometimes we do things just to help others because they need the help. And yeah. that was just such a, a great example that, that it stuck with me the rest of my life. And, and so that whole people thing kind of came out of those kinds of experiences in my family. I was, I was the third born in the family. My sister is 14 years older. My brother is 10 years older. And I was the baby of the family. And so I was always around adults. And, you know, they treated me with great respect. I mean, right. my parents used to go out to dinner. I was going along with them. T typically going out to dinner meant going to a brother or sister's house of my mother. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so it was just that piece that I got. And then it kind of developed over time. And, uh, you know, I developed it in myself. And then when I was in my mid-20s, I really, through some challenges that I had, I really got interested in what made me tick. Who was I? You know, what kind of, what were my values? And I never thought about it before, but because of the challenge I had, I was kind of forced to deal with that. And so I did, and, and I identified through some work what my core values were what, and what my mission statement was for my life and, and what, my, what I call my six Ps were. And so those things informed my life. And uh, I learned a lot at that time, and that's when I got interested in servant leadership. And uh, I just kept, just kept, you know, moving forward on that and I got interested in what made other people tick. And so, you know, that was, uh, you know, important to me and I just stayed on that journey and I've still, still am on that journey. And so when you, if somebody asks you, you know, Howard, what are those core values? You know, my business partner, Tim Hammett talks about trust, respect, humility. You hear them all the time, right? They're yeah. just ingrained in who he is. And what, so what are your core values? My, I have eight core values or nine core values, honesty, fairness, respect for self and others, responsibility, integrity, trust in self and others, caring and love. And uh, those, are, those are my core values. And they, if I could show you a picture, they're sitting right, right on my desk right above me because I don't want to forget. I've had them written down in varying forms for almost hmm. 40 years. Yeah. yeah. They're still up there in front of me. And then I have a personal mission statement. It goes like this. Every day I want to nurture and inspire the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. The reason why I say self first is what I've learned in life is if you're not okay with you, it's very difficult to nurture and inspire the human spirit of another human being. That's right. And then I have how I do everything, my six Ps. So let's so, talk about those. I wrote those, those down to talk about later, but we're, we'll just talk about them now because you've mentioned them a few times. And uh, yeah. let's talk about they, those. This is how I want to do everything in my life. Everything in my life I have to do with purpose, purpose bigger than myself. It has to do something to basically to serve others. And it, so, it, you know, it isn't, I don't do things just to do things. I do things, you know, I mean, that, that's not exactly true. I like to go fishing to just go fishing. Right. But, just to you know, fish. You know, living my life. But, but purpose bigger than myself. And if I have a purpose bigger than myself, then I darn well better be passionate about it. You know, I scream it from the highest rooftops because it holds me accountable. You know, and I let everybody know and I let myself know and I'm, I have a lot of energy around it. And then uh, persistence. I have to have persistence with everything I do. We know there are always rocks in the river in our journeys. And we don't know where those rocks are going to be, but we're rolling down the river and all of a sudden, boom, we hit a rock. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we have to figure out to go over it, around it, uh, under it, or through it. And, uh, you know, 
or we have to change our you know our direction, so to speak. But persistence matters. Probably, it's the single most important word that I would describe every entrepreneur that I've ever met. They are just persistent. They don't know from no. You know, it was Howard Schultz's greatest strength. You know, if if if, if he hit a rock, it he it didn't even phase him. Hmm. You know, he just kept going. And then you have to have patience. Not everything comes in the time frame you want to have it come. And you'd think that persistence and patience are opposites each other, but they're not. Yeah, sometimes you have to be patiently persistent. You have to stay with it, but you have to have patience. You can't give up. And then uh, the fifth P is performance. It's something that human beings, we don't like. We don't like to be measured. You know, it's, we hate it. We don't like to get grades in school and all those things because, you know, if we get an A, we like it, but we don't all, we don't get that many A's in our lives. Right. And if, we're, if we have a relationship with somebody else with marriage or significant other, you know, we get measured all the time. We, it may not be right out in front. We may not get a report card every day, but performance matters. And if you make a commitment to do something, it matters that you live up to that commitment. In a marriage, if you make a commitment to live a monogamous life, then that's performance. To take out the garbage, if that's your job, that's performance. And uh, it matters. I always like to make a joke, you know. Uh, if you want to find out, you know, how it works, you know, you can buy whatever your spouse's or significant other's favorite wine is. Go buy a really expensive bottle of that wine. And then while you're doing it, buy a couple of really nice crystal Rydell gra- glasses that, you know, they cost about 60 to 100 bucks a piece. And go home that night and, and uh, and sit down in front of your significant other and say, honey, this is your lucky day, you know? And I know you like this wine, so I bought some, but I'd like to have a conversation. And by the way, honey, this is going to be your annual performance review. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, but performance matters. Yeah. You know, it, it really matters. And uh, uh, people don't think it does, but it does. If you're working in an organization, you make a commitment to get something done, you either get it done or you tell somebody before it's due, or that you're not going to make it and ask for help. Yep. And uh, so, and then the final P is uh, everything we do in life has to be about people. There's no job that we will ever have, no career that we will ever have that isn't about serving others. That's right. If you're a doctor, it's about serving others. A lawyer, if you're a teacher, if you're, uh, if you're an architect, an engineer, or if you're a server of coffee, it's about people. And, you know, you can try to escape that, but you can't. No. That's what it is. And if you recognize that early on or as best as you can, you know, you're going to have a much more fulfilling life. So talk to us about that patience. I mean, I think a lot of business owner type A, you mentioned earlier, you and Howard were both that way. That's a hard one, right? I mean, I, I know for me, I've been in the financial services industry for 18, 19 years, but running my own firm for the last five, a little over five years. And that patience, right? You want things to happen quicker than they do. Yeah. So how do we deal with that? How do we stay patient, but also still be persistent? Well, you know, we have to understand that not everything comes in the time frame that you want it to come. You know, it's like, I mean, people that start businesses think many times think, well, you know, I, I'm going to be open for a year and things are going to be going well. As you know, from your own personal experience, it takes a long time to build a clientele. It takes time to figure out what you're doing. You're making some mistakes along the way. And you have to have patience with yourself. You have to forgive yourself a little bit when it doesn't come as fast as you want it. And if you have an organization, usually it means that you have people that you're working with. They don't always come as fast along as fast as you want them to come along, but you have to have patience with them too. And uh, you have children? I do. I have four boys. Okay. Well, then you know firsthand about patience. Oh, yeah. 
right? So you can maybe want them to do something, but it's not the way it is. Doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And so, you know, you have to forgive, you have to have patience, you have to have all those things. And so it just matters in life. It doesn't mean that you aren't uh, driven. You know, I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm driven to get things done in my life. But I'm also patient about the fact I don't make excuses to myself. doesn't mean that I, you know, just, well, okay, I'll let it do it tomorrow. Procrastination. I'm not talking about procrastination. I'm talking about patience and the timing of things and and when they really happen, you know, and not give up. And that's where persistence and patience work together. That's right. So talk to us about, I mean, how do you, how do you go globally? I mean, I want to talk a lot about Starbucks and, and that's, that's your world, right? That's what you yeah. did for 22 years. And, yeah. and so how did you, how did you guys, what, what do you think? I know it's people and I know it's the mission, the vision, but um, what do you think were some of those other secrets, if you will, to how you grew it to what it is today that's really an American icon of, of one of the, the biggest, best companies out there? Well, I'd like to tell you there's a different secret other than people. There isn't. It's, look, it all, the people that you associate yourself, the people that you recruit into your organization, the responsibility that you give people, the, the accountability that you charge them with, uh, that's what matters. And, right. you know, I remember Howard and I, we had our first all-store managers meeting in Seattle at the basketball stadium. And there were 7,000 people that showed up. Howard and I were wow. sitting down in the front row, and we, we both stood up, and we looked over our shoulders. and place was just jamming and the people were almost the whole stadium was full and uh we looked at each other and we said how the hell did this happen and <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is it was those people that made it happen yeah. now howard and i and Oren, you know we had responsibilities to knock down the hurdles to raise the cash to make sure we had enough money to operate on to, to make sure that everybody was aligned with our values and our mission statement in the organization hold ourselves accountable and hold them accountable and then to set the tone set the energy level in the organization. But it was the people that made it happen. Now, you know, I, my, my responsibility, I probably, you know, I, I, I spent my whole time at Starbucks talking about the importance of people and why that mattered and what that meant. You know, it's not just that people are important, but what does it mean? It means how do we treat each other, how we hold each other accountable, you know, how we perform, all those things. And so... But, I, you know, I wanted – I had my own uh, goals and dreams. And, uh, you know, I was uh, uh, leading the North American operation, and we were growing pretty fast. And um, I, wanted to, I wanted to start the international business. And so I made a pitch to the board and that I'd like to start international business. So I did a business plan. Now, I'd never run anything outside of North America. Right. The truth of the matter is probably today I would never get that job, you know. Uh, but, but because I pitched it and I, I went out and got some help with a big time consulting firm to back me up and we did a business plan and, and I presented it to the board and it took a couple of years to get them to agree, but we finally did took Starbucks international. But again, I started the day I left North American operations. I went from having plus or minus 10,000 people directly or indirectly reporting to me to zero. I didn't even have an administrative assistant. And so I started all over again from zero. I didn't even really have any money to, you know, I had to no budget. borrow and steal. And I committed to the company that I'd have it cash flow positive within five years. And so I'd set some tough goals for myself. And, uh, and so then I started recruiting in the company. You'd think it would be easy. 
that people say, yeah, oh yeah, I wanted to be part of that. It was incredible how difficult it was. Really? And I remember a guy that I, I needed uh, somebody for finance, somebody for human resources, somebody for operations, somebody for deal making, and I needed somebody for uh, supply chain. And the first person I went after was the head of human resources. And I found a great person and she agreed to come on board. And, but then I was looking for somebody in finance. And I, I knew three or four people in the company that I had identified as great candidates. And the first one, my first choice was a guy that had a Harvard MBA. He was a great finance guy. He was really well thought of in the company. And I sat down with him and I said, I won't give you his name, but uh, I said, would you like to join the team? We're going to change the world. We're going to change the world using coffee as a vehicle to do that around the world. And, and I laid out the whole dream. And what do you think the first question he asked me? Hmm. So I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I have a thousand questions yeah, in my mind. He said, me, he said to me, how much am I going to get paid? Well, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to say it. Yeah. Then the second question he asked me is, what's my title going to be? Hmm. And I said, thank you very much, and I'll get back like, to you. See ya. Yeah. yeah. And so then I went to my second choice, a guy that I just love that I actually hired, a guy named Troy Alstead. And I laid out exactly the same dream. And what do you think his first question was? How do we make it happen? When do I start? Oh, okay, yeah. Know how much pay, know what my title was going to be. What do you think Troy, Troy ended up being the president of the company? He became the CFO and then the president of the company. Then he left to start his own business recently. Yeah, he yeah. made more money than he probably ever oh, dreamed possible. He, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he, but he never asked. And so it was that team that made it happen. I was the driver of it. You know, I was the dreamer. I was the visionary of it. But they made it happen. And, uh, you know, we went from 19, August 4th of 1996, opening our first store outside of North America in Tokyo. And from then on, and now there's thousands of stores in, in Japan. There's 14,000 stores outside of North America. I mean, Man. you know, wildly successful and not everywhere, but, but pretty much. Pretty much, right. Yeah. And so when you walk into a Starbucks today, you know, now being retired, what's, what's that feeling like knowing that? I mean, tremendous pride. Just did. Tremendous pride. And if it's dirty, I'm still pissed off. <laughs> I, still go around picking I things still up. I clean condiment stands, you know. Yeah. I don't say anything to anybody. I just clean condiment stands. I used to change light bulbs in the store. If I'd go into a store and I'd see light bulbs were out up above, yeah. I'd go get the ladder change light bulb. It, it, it used to make everybody mad. And I said, why? I'm not too good to change a light bulb. I'm not right. too good to clean a condiment stand. And, he, and the people would say, yeah, it's my job. No, I said, no, it's my job too. And, uh, and that's the way I operate it. And that set the tone. And, uh, but yeah, I get both feelings. If it's going really great and the service is great, you know, I feel just incredible pride. So how did you, uh, going back to those days, and obviously you, I'm assuming we're traveling the world uh, yeah. to do this, but you, you had a wife and children and all that stuff. And how do you, it's not balanced because if you're gone for weeks at a time, it's got to be more of an integration, right? So yeah. how did you do exactly. that? That's the right word. People think it's about balance. It's not about balance. It's about integration. It's about putting it together. Now, I was fortunate that my kids were older. You know, they were, uh, one was heading off to college and one was in high school and my wife was getting her PhD. Oh, so, wow. So she was busier than hell. She didn't even yeah. know I was gone most of the time. And I was gone. My trips were long, two and three weeks at a crack. And I, when I'd come home, I was exhausted. She might want to go to the theater 
go to a play or particularly when she wanted to go to ballet. Oh God, please. Yeah, like just taking a nap. And I was gone, you know, and, um, and I'd come home and the first thing I wanted to do was open the mail. I don't know what it that was about the mail, but it was kind of grounded me, you know? Yeah. And that's what the first thing I'd go for. I didn't even want to talk to anybody, you know? Just give me the mail. Yeah. Give me the mail. And, um, it was strange. I look back at that and say, boy, was I weird. And, but it, you know, it was integrating at all, you know, and um, I loved it. I, it was the single greatest experience in my working life, wow. without a question. I learned so much from so many people, people that I couldn't speak their language, but I figured out a way to communicate with them, and they figured out a way to communicate with me. I, I, uh, I met, I realized, I came back from that experience, and I remember when I, when I was retiring from Starbucks, and I gave a speech at, at an annual meeting the annual meeting of the company and I said here's what I learned that we are all basically the same you know we may speak different languages we may have different skin color we may practice different religions we may eat different food but at the end of the day we all want to be treated with respect and dignity we all want to love and be loved we all want to grow as human beings we all want more for our families and ourselves and you know you have to accept that in life you know those things that get in our way you know they, they just, they're just not true. And so I, right. I, that was such a great experience for me. You know, I would do it again if I didn't have to travel so much. <laughs> and I was, I was not a kid. I was, I was over 50, you know, I was, it got right. me. But I remember all that travel. One day I ran into this guy on an airplane. He was, he was the head of uh, uh, um, uh, uh, licensing for Baskin and Robbins. Oh, wow. Dunkin' Donuts. And he was, he traveled more than I did. He was gone 200 days a year. And I said, wow. how do you do it? And he said, look, he said, you can choose to fight it or you can choose to flow with it. He said, here's what I do. When it's light out, I, I work. When it's dark out, I sleep, no matter where I'm yeah. at. And, and I started that next trip. I just practiced what he told me. And was I tired? Yes. But I let it all go. And so the anxiety, the, 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 all the, that stuff went away. What were some of your habits and rituals? Like, you know, you knew day by day, no matter what part of the world you were in, these three or four or five, whatever they were, wow. things had to happen. I stayed, always stayed in the same hotel. Always. Okay. Uh, if I, depending on where time I was getting in, like, for example, Japan, I'd get off the plane, I'd get on the train, take it to downtown Tokyo, uh, take the, a taxi to my hotel. I, I'd put my stuff in my room. I was exhausted, but it was nighttime and it was dinner time. And I'd go downstairs to a great solo place, hmm. most wonderful place. And I'd order the same exact thing. I'd order, I'd order soba, uh, tempura, and I'd order a Karen beer. Hmm. And that was my dinner. And then I would go upstairs and I'd do a little work and I'd, I'd go to sleep. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd turn on the TV and watch soccer. Huh. There was always a soccer game somewhere in the world going on. And then I'd go to work, you know. And, uh, and I had those habits no matter where I went. It's That's because amazing. I found that I needed those habits to keep my equilibrium right. Yeah. So did you, were you a thinker, like a journal guy? Were you, you know, whether it was meditation or exercise, I mean, any of those things that were a big part of your life? I'd like to tell you that I was a big exercise guy. I wasn't. Yeah. Still not. And uh, I'm 75 and my wife is saying, you better get going here. I've had some health <laughs> issues. And, but, uh, you know, I, I was an affirmation guy. Okay. 
And so what'd that look like for you? What was that process? Was it every day? I mean, what was that yeah, process yeah, like? Yeah, pretty much every day. Part of it had to do with my mission and my core values and how I do everything. And then I had, I had a plan. I had a five-year plan. And that was all part of it. And then I'd have affirmations around that. And I'd have affirma- affirmations about Starbucks and what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And, uh, and then I would just stay focused on those things. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a business plan. It was a, it was a Howard plan around Starbucks. Yep. And so when you look back now, what's the, maybe if there is any, but what, what's one of the maybe regrets? It's all easy to talk about our success, but what's maybe some of the regrets that you had in that run that you guys have put together? Oh, made mistakes with people. I, yep. You know, uh, both keeping people too long and not keeping people long enough. Um, uh, not maybe missing somebody that was really good yeah, yeah uh, that I that I should have been able to help really develop, and I wasn't able to do it. Uh, you know, I, my biggest probably my biggest regrets, the two biggest regrets of my life. I've gotten over one of it pretty much was not getting a college degree, not for the degree's sake, but for the opportunity to have learned. Yeah, I'm a good learner, uh, but you know, I didn't really learn how to learn until later on in life, and I think that would have really helped me. And I think that's what college is for. Sure, it should be for. And the other thing is I was capable of running a company. And although I did, and, and people would say in a sense of the word, because I had tremendous responsibility at Starbucks, you know, I was capable of being a CEO of, of, a, of a company and either starting it myself. And, but I, I didn't have the confidence. And it, it took me to later in life to where I actually believed in myself and said, I can do this. So I think that's amazing, right? Because I think so many people listening to this and just – on the surface would say, gosh, here's a guy running one of the largest companies in North America. Uh, he's got to have a lot of confidence to get where he's gotten. And, and you didn't have that. Huh? No, I had lots of fears. I had lots of demons that I had to work with and work on. And, and, uh, and uh, I had tremendous anxiety, always had anxiety. I mean, in the 21 years I was with Starbucks, I hardly slept a night. Hmm. And, and I would have a pad by my desk, by my nightstand. I'd wake up in the middle of the night write something down, I get up in the morning and I'd just look at it and say, what was that? You know, but I write, you know, and, but that anxiety and it served me well and it, and it hindered me, yep. you know, it did both. And, uh, but I was capable, more capable than I thought. And I look back at my life and do I regret, um, a little bit, but you know, Starbucks was such a, you know, uh, a, an incredible journey. Oh. I couldn't. I couldn't have asked for anything more than that, you know. And uh, uh, so, and Howard and I were close, and Oren and I were close. And uh, Oren passed away this year. One of my best friends. It killed me. Oh. And, uh, uh, but you know, it was just uh, just an amazing journey that you don't. Yeah, I, I was lucky. I turned right instead of turning left. Yeah. And I remember when I was about twenty-seven years old. I was. Uh, I was. Uh, president of a furniture rental business in, in Portland, Oregon. And there was this uh, billboard on my way home. And it's, and it said, luck is where opportunity meets preparation. And I never have forgotten that ever. You got to be lucky, but you got, you get, and, but in order to be lucky, you got to be prepared, you know, and you've got to recognize the opportunity. And I did with that at Starbucks and I was prepared. I was 44 when I went to Starbucks, you know, and I was pretty clear about what mattered in my life. By that time. Well, I think you got to take action too, right? You're, yeah, you're you saying, Hey, action. let me come there for a week and not get paid. Yeah. yeah you got to lose. Yeah. You got, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, people don't think about those things, but you see, you got to give to get. It yeah. was my dad. Put the strawberries in the basket. Don't worry about getting paid. Right. So let's talk. Go back a little bit. Fear. I ask this in every every episode that I have, and I love the question, and I'm anxious to hear what your thoughts are. But your fears. You said you had a lot of them. How many of those fears that you put up here, right? That's a dangerous spot. How many of the fears that you put up there in your mind actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Not one. Not one. I love there's it. A book, there's a book, an old book that was written in the 20s or 30s by a man named Claude Bristol called The Magic of Believing. And uh, I was at the time married. I was first marriage and I was unhappy and my wife was unhappy and and, but I didn't know what to do about it. You know, getting divorced in my family was the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I read this book, and in the book, there was a chapter, and it said, <clears throat> when you're facing your greatest fears, imagine the worst possible outcomes. And, you know, basically take it all the way down, the steps all the way down. Well, I'll lose my job. Uh, I won't be able to provide for my family. I'll... Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I won't have any food for me to eat. And when you, when you look at it those way, then analyze are, what are the, what of these are really real? Right. And none of them were real. You know, I could always said, could I find a job? Yes. Could, could I feed my family? Yes. Well, I started death. No. And I learned from that, but yeah, none of them were true. Well, I love that. And it's, you know, you always hear false evidence appearing real, right? That's yeah. what fear really yeah. stands for. And it's true yeah. that. But, but it's natural. You have to accept that in yourself. That's part of the journey. And, you know, it's, I, I had a stroke about oh, seven years ago. That was tough, you know, um, getting through it. And then I've had some heart issues. And when I left Starbucks, when I retired from Starbucks, I did what I told my people not to do. I always would say to everybody, you are not Starbucks, and Starbucks is not you. Don't confuse the two. Hmm. You are still you. You were you when you came to Starbucks, and that's why I hired you. I was Howard when I came to Starbucks, but I fell into the trap that I told everybody not to do, and I became literally depressed. Yeah. Because I thought, okay, who am I now? You well, know? That's, a, it's, that's very, uh, I, it's very profound, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. So what? What? Who are you now? So that's one you know, of my questions. I was, was laying be... on the sofa in Palm Springs thinking my life wasn't worth living. Seriously. Yeah. That, you know, I had lost my way. And I, look at I've been working on myself forever. You know, so I knew all the tools. I had all the tools, you know, in my sure. brain, but I just couldn't get to them. You know, it was just, I was just depressed. And I was laying on my sofa, reading a book, thinking my life wasn't worth living. And uh, this thought came into my head and it just came out of, nowhere and uh the the thought was howard your life's work is still your life's work and i repeated it to myself my life's work is still my life's work and it was so true and i realized that my life's work was about servant leadership about teaching people about servant leadership about my values about my mission in life you know uh and my six p's that was my life's work it wasn't about starbucks Yep. But it was my now, instead of running an organization doing it, I was going to teach people to do it. And so I started mentoring second-year MBA students at the University of Washington. I started coaching other people. I started speaking around the world. I wrote a couple of books talking about it. And, you know, then the journey went on. That's and, amazing. And my life's work, amazingly enough, it's, that's been my life's work since I was in my mid to late 20s. So almost 50 years. I love it. Well, my, my mission, I'm very clear on, is to help 
people achieve a future greater than their past. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, when you're very clear on it for our listeners, when you're very clear on why you're doing what you're doing, it makes the days you don't want to do something that much easier to actually take the step and take the action to go right. do it. Right. Yeah. I have this, I have this rule for myself is that I will answer anybody's email or anybody's phone call. I don't care who they are. Yeah. Right? I, I may not always get to a personal meeting if they want one, but they'll always get a phone meeting. And um, sometimes it takes me a while to answer the emails, but I get to it. But I, I just don't not do it. I've done that so, my whole life. I'm going to interrupt you real quick and to, to talk about and build on that for you because so today is Wednesday, right? Yeah. I emailed you, I think it was either Friday or Monday. So maybe 48 hours ago yeah. and here we are today, right? Yeah. And so you do exactly that. But it's also, if you take the two of our stories, one, it's see something on LinkedIn. It's taking action, sending this guy, you think I put you on this pedestal, right? You're here. You're, you're yeah. the 22 year president of Starbucks, a massive company who is Brett Gilliland in Little O'Fallon, Illinois. And then yet here we are 48 hours later talking face to face on the video. Yeah, it's because amazing none, to me. none of that, none of that Howard Bihar stuff, uh, great stuff is, is true. I did a good job. I, yeah. I, you know, and I believe that. And, uh, but I, and I'm not that humble that I don't believe that, but, but also I believe that we all are on these journeys and everybody can get to someplace and, and everybody can have success, however they define it in their life. Yeah. It isn't success. Isn't because Starbucks has 30,000 plus stores and has all this success is the one person that I touched that went on with their life and did better than they did when they were working at Starbucks. And I somehow helped that. That's yeah. success to me. But don't you also think though, that people sometimes we can get our own self-defeating thinking going and they would put Howard on this pedestal. And I think the, hopefully the learning between our, our story here is just believe in yourself, right? And believe yeah. in, the, you said human beings, we're all, we all, you put your pants on the same way I do, right? Yeah, and exactly. you reach out, you make something happen, and you have a great connection. Yeah, right. And so, if you want to have a fulfilling life, you know, uh, you know, you have to experience all the things in life. Disappointment, your fear, anxiety, uh, 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 winning, uh, uh, losing, uh, you know, a little pain. All those right. things go to make a fulfilling life. It makes a whole person. I like it. So I see all these books in your background there. It looks like you oh, got yeah. shelves and shelves. So are you a big reader? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got, and I've got them all labeled. If you looked here, so it goes from philosophy to resources to uh, education. Then over here is um, all the books by uh, autobiographies and oh, all wow. things in there. Yes, absolutely. So how did that become a habit? Have you obviously been a reader for a long, long time? Uh, I, well, I, I, most of the stuff that I read is all about uh, uh, human journeys, you know, about how to improve yourself. It's uh, like, uh, let's see, what's a book? I have like Successful Manager's Handbook. Um, uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water, my, one of my all-time favorite books. Very old, but but it's about it's about the spiritual journey. A curious mind. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I uh, how about the uh, how about the magic cup? Is that book oh, in there? Yeah, the magic cup is over here. I got That's his book right here. Yeah, you got uh, the magic cup, and it's not about the coffee or the two books. You can get on Amazon and uh, go get Howard's books. They're phenomenal. Uh, get those, but I think I think reading is a game changer for people, don't you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can, you can listen to the books, you can, but, you know, it's basically what you're looking at when you read is other people's stories, and they help you. And those things have always helped me. When I was down, when I was struggling with something, if I could find, you know, a, a book or something, or a quote. If I, let's see, you can't see it. I'm going to turn it here so you can see it. But you can oh, see yeah. it on my wall. Those are all quotes. And, huh. and it used to be on my back while they were filled up. My, I'm trying to sell my condo. My real estate agent said I had to take them down. It was too full. But I have <laughs> quotes like you can't win a negotiation like you can't win a marriage. Uh, when you're in a hole, quit digging. To attempt to climb or to achieve without a firm objective of life, even if you achieve it, is to attain nothing. In a moral society, we must search for the questions, not the answers. And my mo most important quote, I love myself unconditionally. Oh. I so when you're in a hole, stop digging. How do we do that? Huh? When you're in a hole, stop digging. So there's a lot of uh, psychoanalyst stuff I'm sure we could do with that. Yeah, but we could what's do that, that mean to you? Well, what it means to me, don't make the problem bigger. You know, don't, don't, don't get it deeper and deeper. And it's hard to do sometimes. Yep. You know, I have one, there are no stressful situations, only stressful, stressful responses. Hmm. A very important one. And another one is, uh, let's see, do I have that up here? Well, my favorite quote, single favorite quote is a two word quote, compassionate emptiness. Wow compassionate emptiness now and what it means is and here's here's what was going on in my life so you know men have a, some bad habits you know we want to solve our wives problems we want yeah. to solve our children's problems when all they want is somebody to listen to them not solve their problem hmm. and and one day i was reading this book and up up this quote in the middle of the book compassionate emptiness so that's interesting and then i went on to read the next paragraph what it means it means being compassionate to the other person you know, they're talking to you about a problem, but empty of ideas, hmm. empty of solutions. I like that. I'm going to write that was, down. Yeah. So what would you go back and tell, uh, tell yourself? You could go back. You said, what, you're 75. You could go yeah. back and tell the 45-year-old Howard something and give that guy some advice. What would that advice be? The advice was uh, take the risk. If you've got the desire to do something, go for it. And, you know, there's no losing, hmm. you know, as long as you believe that you can put food on the table, right? If you can't put food on the table and you can't get a roof over your head, those are different issues. Yeah. But as long as you believe you can do that. And I always believed I could do that. Yeah. I could sell furniture and you know, I could right. do whatever. And, um, uh, that that's what I would tell myself, I love you know, that. go for it. And it seems like you're very in line with the circuits of success, which are attitude, your beliefs, and your actions ultimately get you results. I mean, those right. are the four circuits right there. Yeah, and right. Uh, it's everything you're talking about today. Yeah, so, exactly. That's what so uh, where can our listeners find more of Howard Bihar? Well, I've got a website and, uh, that you can go. You can contact me at hb at howardbihar.com, my initials and my name.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter pretty much every day, although I'm getting down to the end of that. I've been doing it for five years, and I'm thinking everybody knows what I have to say. I have, I've yeah. said what I had to say, and so I, I'm going to probably give that up in October, and, and if they want to hear more from me, they can write me a note. <laughs> write um, you a note, right? Yeah. Uh, well, if you could tell us one thing about uh, Howard Schultz and what your experience was looking like uh, working with him side by side for so many years, what, what would you share with people? 
he was a ferocious competitor and he, he just was persistent about everything that he did and he loved people. Yeah. Heck of a leader. Yeah. He was really a great leader. Awesome. Well, Howard, I really appreciate you being on the circuit of success. It's been uh, just a complete pleasure to have you and a, and a joy getting to uh, hear some of your wisdom and your words. And uh, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us. Okay, thanks. And go St. Louis, huh? That's right. Go Blues. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.